I don't know how old the children's song is. I know I've been singing it my whole life, and I know it's been a favorite for a long time before that. And I'm sure there are a lot of reasons why it's, it's a favorite. Maybe, maybe it's because when we sing the song right here in the auditorium, the kids get to go, splat! And they just love doing that for some strange reason. But I'd like to think that it's because when they sing the song, they're singing the words of Jesus. The song, of course, is, The wise man built his house upon the rock. I love that song. And I love watching our children in pew packers at 6 o'clock. Almost every week we sing that song. And I love watching them sing it. But I have to tell you, I especially love the smallest of our children. Even if they may not get every word yet, you already see their little hands building their houses and remembering Jesus, and it's a wonderful thing. But knowing where that song is found in Scripture is a valuable thing to know. If you have your Bible open to Matthew 7, you're going to have our outline right there in front of you because we're going to go through that famous text that ends what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was not, as he preached the Sermon on the Mount, preaching for responses in the same way that we sometimes think of it. In other words, when he finished this sermon, they weren't going to announce some number and everyone stand up and have aisles for people to walk down and and that sort of thing. But may I suggest to you that these last few words of the Sermon on the Mount are in a way in which Jesus was preaching for responses. Not in the same way as we might do it, but Jesus was preaching for the response of a truly changed life of seeking wisdom the way the great teacher, Christ, would define wisdom. We're calling our lesson this morning, Wise Men Still Build on Jesus. And even though this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, of course, was preached about 2,000 years ago, the principles that are found in it are just as needed and just as relevant as ever. I found it interesting as we sang the songs, and Caleb did a great job leading this morning. He, He didn't change his songs to fit what I was preaching. He already had his songs picked out, but they couldn't have been more appropriate for what we were getting ready to say in the lesson as we sang the words together. And sometimes we read the Sermon on the Mount or hear the Sermon on the Mount and some of the illustrations found in it may seem very much like for another culture, another time. But the wisdom we gain from this sermon and and really from all the words of Jesus would make such a difference in our lives if we would just apply them. Using these well-known verses that begin in verse 24 of Matthew 7, I want us to examine this morning just three ideas. We're going to look at the text, but we're going to see some things found in them that we need to make sure we understand go in the flow of the sermon as Jesus was bringing it to its conclusion. And then having looked at those things, we hope to conclude by asking hopefully some very practical questions as we tie this to the sermon that Jesus was himself concluding. But three things about these famous words that conclude the sermon. First of all, I want to suggest to you that wisdom begins with hearing And with doing. Have you ever noticed that both the wise person and the foolish person in this illustration are said to have heard the words of Jesus? Verse 24 begins Everyone then who hears these sayings of mine and does them, and then it goes on from there. And verse 26 begins Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, and then it goes on from there. But it's significant that this illustration, this word picture that Jesus is drawing, it's interesting. Well, how he began that. Did you notice he said those who, who then hear? What's that little word then 
found in the text for? Well, we, we could say he's, he's drawing the whole sermon to a conclusion. He's tying this to everything he has said. And in a way, that's certainly true. But it's also interesting that that word then follows the picture of the judgment, does it not? Because if you glance back up at Matthew 7 and begin reading in verse 21, notice what Jesus had just finished saying. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now notice that those verses are picturing religious people. There were people who knew some of the good works they were supposed to be doing, but their heart wasn't right. And in reality, that's what Jesus has been preaching on through this, basically this entire sermon. They had all the, the outer looks, all the outer trappings of religion, but they weren't really doing what God would have them to do because they were doing those things out of a selfish motivation, out of an unrighteous heart, out of trying to seek the praise of men, and so on and so forth. And it's that picture then that serves as the background for that little word, then, in verse 24. Jesus has made it supremely clear that we can hear the truth and not really do it. Now that means a couple of things about that illustration about the wise man and the foolish man. First, it's not really a word picture for those who are, as we might say, outside the church. In other words, those who have never heard the word about Jesus. This is not a, a mission work passage to go into some foreign land where people have never heard the word of Christ. But I, may I suggest to you, this is a mission, mission passage. Because what Jesus is saying is, this is a mission passage for those who have heard the word of Christ, but are not wholeheartedly devoted to doing it with the attitude that he suggests this could be people who, we, as we say, have fallen away from the church. It could be people who aren't in our building this morning. But it could also be those who hear the word on a regular basis, who do come week after week after week, but are not totally devoted in action and in attitude to following it. Remember that in the sermon, Jesus had spent a great deal of time not just talking about the actions that we must do in order to be faithful, but, with do, but in doing them with the right heart, or with the right attitude. And there were a lot of religious leaders in the days of Jesus who did a great number of good things, but they were only doing them, as we said, to receive the praise of men, to, to see if they could climb some kind of religious corporate ladder. That kind of attitude made Jesus furious. And he wanted to show that, yes, actions matter. What we do matters. But it's so does the heart behind those actions. Why do we do these things? It's that word that he's speaking as he draws the Sermon on the Mount to a close. It starts with hearing and with doing in both action and in attitude. But with that in his mind, I want you to notice by way of illustration, the second thing from this text is very simple. And that is that Jesus makes it clear that storms will come I think one of the most powerful things about this illustration, the wise man, the foolish man, can be lost if all we ever do is turn it into a children's song, although we need to teach it to our children. And that is that what Jesus is trying to get across here is people will have storms come into their life. But even more than that, Jesus is making it clear that both the ones who have heard and do and the ones who have heard and do not do, both will have storms come into their life. Can I ask, where in the world did we get this idea in much of our society 
that if we follow the Lord, every step of our life is just going to be easy and we're never going to have any difficulties whatsoever. Where did we get that idea? And may I suggest to you that it's that mindset that's one of the reasons why we see many people turn away from Christianity. We turn on the television and we read articles online or read periodicals that basically make it sound like all you've got to do is believe in Christ and everything's just going to work well for you. You're, you're never really going to have any problem. Money's going to flow into your bank account. Your health's going to be perfect. You're going to be cured of any illnesses. Your marriage is going to be fantastic. You know, listen, if we follow the Bible, we're going to have wisdom to handle certain things, but storms still come, even for those who are following, even for those who are doing the Word of God. If you think you're following the Word of Christ and, and you think that by doing that everything's just going to go fantastic all the time and you can keep all the difficulties of life at bay, just consider, was the Apostle Paul faithful? I think it would be very difficult to, to say that there were very many people who were more faithful than Paul upon their conversion. He was so zealous and doing what was right constantly. We benefit from, from some of his writings, Philemon, Philippians, and others that were written from prison. And he wasn't in prison for doing some sinful crime. He was in prison for doing what was right. But even if that wasn't the case, as he lived the life of a Christian, how often do we see Paul suffer because of his faith? A couple of different times he lists some of those things. I guess the longest list is found in 2 Corinthians 11. We're beginning in verse 23. He writes, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and ex- and to go on to say, on top of all that, I had the daily pressure of worrying about the churches. Now, some of us could look at that list and say, well, if Paul had just been faithful, then none of those bad things would have ever happened, right? No, 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 no. These things happened to Paul because he was faithful. He faced those beatings and imprisonments because of his faith. The times he was shipwrecked was because he was traveling to preach the gospel and share the word of Christ with the world. Was John the Apostle faithful? So far as we know, John was the only one of the apostles to die of what we might just call old age. He wrote five books of the Bible, four that bear his name, John, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. But where was John when he received that revelation and penned it for us? Well, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the isle called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Folks, he wasn't there on vacation. He wasn't even there on a mission trip. Paul wrote this in exile. For preaching and teaching the truth. Well, if he had just been more faithful, nothing... No, not at all. He suffered because of his faith. In the book of Philippians, we're told about a man named Epaphroditus. Most commentators suggest that that man was the the local preacher, as we might call him, in the city of Philippi. But now he had been sent by that congregation to bring a gift to Paul. And now to bring a letter from Paul back to the congregation. Now, surely... Surely a preacher would never have difficulties in his life, right? And surely not a preacher who's even making this this difficult journey in in, in behalf of the congregation. Philippians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 state that he was ill. In fact, the old King James has, he was nigh unto death. He was so sick it nearly killed him. 
Oh, and by the way, Paul did not use a miracle to cure him because miracles were meant to confirm the word of God. This man already believed in the word of God. Was this man faithful? Yes. Did he still face a storm in life? Absolutely. What about Timothy? It's tragic that the passage in the letter to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, that talks about taking a little wine has been thrown around so much to talk about social drinking. But do you remember in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23, the point behind the passage where Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake and for his frequent ailments. This wasn't medicinal, it was social. But what's more tragic is we missed the point. Here was a man who was utterly faithful. He was Paul's protege. He built up the church. He preached. He taught. He was a true minister in every sense of the word. And he wasn't just not feeling well. Do you notice he had frequent ailments? We might just say he didn't feel good all the time. Was he faithful? Yeah. Did he have a storm in life? Yes. Folks, Christians will have storms in their life. Remember, it was earlier in this very same sermon that Jesus had already hinted at that fact. In Matthew 5 and verse 45, he had said that God makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. Now that could literally mean that God simply causes the cycles of weather to be there for those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful, sun and rain and the things it takes to to grow crops and so forth. But could it not also be interpreted in a way that's a little bit more poetic? That those sunny days and those rainy days, there are positive days and there are negative days that come into our life. If Paul and John and Epaphroditus and Timothy and many others we can mention were not immune from the storms of life, why should we ever think that we can just waltz through life with no problems just because we are faithful to God? Folks, Christians still get sick. Sometimes it's seasonal illnesses. At other times it's those life-altering illnesses and diseases that shake a person and shake a family to its core. Christians, even faithful Christians, not because of sin, but because of just circumstances, might lose their job and wonder how they're going to have the financial means to pay rent or mortgage or can I possibly even get another interview with the skills and the situation in which I find myself. Christians wonder if they're making the correct life decisions, like anybody else does. Where should we live? What job should I pursue? How should I raise my children? How should I discipline my children? How do I deal with friendships? And on and on it goes. And yes, Christians will face loss. We will die one day. It's appointed a man wants to die, Hebrews 9, 27. But even faithful Christians will stand over caskets and gravestones of those we love dearly as our hearts ache and our heart is filled with struggles. Did you notice in the illustration that Jesus gave, the wise man built a house. And verse 25 says that rain and floods and winds came upon the house and beat upon it. But the foolish man also built a house, and the exact same description is given of that house, of rain and floods and winds beating against the house. Folks, storms are going to come into our lives. And so you get to the point of the sermon number three. What matters is where you build. What matters is where you build. Both the wise person and the foolish person heard the words of Christ. In the illustration, both of them built a house. In the illustration, both of them faced those storms that beat against the house. What mattered? What mattered was where the house was built. Or more accurately, I suppose, upon what the house was built. In fact, that made all the difference. Some of you remember back all the way to your 1992 when Hurricane Andrew made landfall in Florida. The destruction and devastation was almost unspeakable as you watched it unfold on television. In the southern part of Florida... 
There were areas where entire neighborhoods, and in some places, quite literally entire communities, that were reduced to rubble. And some of you may remember a news story that made the rounds of one community where literally nothing was left standing except one house. Now, it had some damage to it, but the actual structure was standing firm while literally everything else in the whole community was just reduced to nothingness. And there was a reporter who came to talk to the owner of that house and asked, how did this not get destroyed when literally everything else was? And in the report, he said this, I built this house myself. I also built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When the code called for two-by-six roof trusses, I used two-by-six roof trusses. I was told that a house built according to code could withstand a hurricane, and it did. You see, it mattered. We live in a life filled with distractions. And may I suggest, too, we often see those distractions most clearly when we're not in the midst of the storm. When when life is going along just fine and the bumps in our life are just minor little bumps, that's when we had better be building the foundation of our life, the deepest, into our faith in God through His Word. But tragically, when things are going fine, that's when we put our foundation in other things. A lot of people, in fact a whole lot of people, put their foundation in other people, even family. Relationships are so powerful and they're needed. But when storms come, yes, people help, but people can also fail us. People can let us down. We need to be drawing closer to other people, yes. But our truest and our deepest foundation can only be found in Christ and His Word. Some people put their foundation in money, possessions, things. So so long as their accounts add up to a big enough number and they have all the right insurance policies in place, I'm pretty well invincible, right? Now, certainly we should be wise financially and all those sorts of things are true, but money can be mismanaged. And folks, there's no amount of financial security possible that can keep every storm of life away from us. And I also want you to consider, considering the context of the Sermon on the Mount, that there are some who put their foundation in religious show religious pretense. In other words, I I have all the right Bible answers. I make sure I show up all the time and and I'm present, but my faith is only surface level. It doesn't really infiltrate my heart. It doesn't really become who I am. When the storms of life hit, what really matters? When the storms of life come, what is it that has to be firm and sure no matter what? It is the comfort of and the strength of our relationship with the Lord. And that can only be built up when we spend time in His Word when things are going well, so that I can be prepared when things are not going well. I don't know how many times over the years of ministry I've been with people who were facing a difficult time or some, were looking back on something in their life in, the, in their past that was very difficult, maybe the loss of a spouse, maybe another loss, maybe, maybe some kind of financial difficulty or, or sickness, And virtually countless times, I've heard one of two statements from them. Sometimes it's the positive way of saying it. I never could have made it through this without the Lord. Sometimes it's the negative way of saying it. I don't know how people without the Lord ever do make it through these things. But see, these were people who did not build up that faith in the midst of the storm. They built up the faith before the storm ever came. Because they had to be ready because storms will come. How can I know if I'm digging deeply and building a foundation in Christ? This list is not original with me. I adapted it somewhat just for for time's sake and wording's sake. It's a very old list. The language is very old. But But a writer gave six ways to make sure that I'm deepening my foundation. One, 
I will not enter my relationship with God in a lighthearted way. Instead, I will count the cost. Will I really be faithful no matter what? When I struggle, when a prayer seems to go unanswered, when I'm being made fun of, when someone turns away from my faith, I need to know that those things are real. Those things really do happen to Christians. And so I don't need to enter that relationship lightheartedly. I need to count the cost. Am I really prepared to be devoted to I'm not digging deeply until I empty myself of self each and every day. Christ is our only hope. Christ is our life, according to Colossians. Am I daily willing to put aside things like self-righteousness, self-centeredness, self-sufficiency? If I'm not, I'm not digging deeply because Christ is our sufficiency. Three, I'm not digging deeply until I desire an inward knowledge of the truth. In other words, it's not just head knowledge, although that's where it starts. I want it to be inward And tied to that, four, I'm not digging deeply until the word of God is filling my mind and heart each and every day. It's wonderful to come to services and hear a sermon. It's wonderful to sit in a Bible class or a Wednesday night devotional. Folks, I'm not digging deeply until I'm searching deep within God's word each day and thirsting for more and wanting to make sure my foundation deepens each and every day of my life. Five, I'm not digging deeply until Scripture convicts me of my sin. If all I ever see in Scripture is how wonderful I am and how things are just fantastic, I haven't seen all the point of Scripture. There are things I must change. There are things I must improve on. There are things I must confess. There are things that that need to hurt me so, so that I do better and seek God more closely. And then six, and ultimately, I'm not digging deeply until I find that my primary foundation in life is on nothing else than the Word of God. And why? Because that's the only thing that will get us through the storms of life. That's the only thing. Other things may help. Other things may aid. But the only thing that really is what matters is where I build. And it has to be on the Word of Christ. The Sermon on the Mount was a masterpiece. I've called it the greatest sermon ever preached. And it's because it touches everyone. Those who don't know God. Those who think they know God. Those who are trying to know God. And frankly, those who aren't. But near the beginning of the sermon, Jesus basically threw down the gauntlet when he said in Matthew 5 and verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are the ones who looked the part. They looked like they had it all together, but their foundation was built upon their own ability, their ability to look religious, their ability to make other people think they had it all together. Their house was built on sand, and Jesus was saying, that's getting ready to fall. I've got to ask, what's my life built on? Wise people still build on Jesus. Because his foundation is the only one that is always true, that is always reliable, and that is always right. Jesus is the only one who can make the promise and who can perfectly keep it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I sometimes get asked, why do people leave the church? Why do people leave the faith? And there are countless reasons. And I suppose that for every, every person, there's you know, some specific set of reasons. But may I give us one just to chew on for a moment? There are some times when people leave the church, leave the faith in the midst of the storms of life. Something difficult happens, and it causes their faith just to be washed away, to use the word picture of Jesus. May I suggest that one reason that happens, not the only reason, but one reason that happens, 
is because they haven't been deepening their foundation in Christ before the storm ever came. And now that a storm comes, they don't know how to handle it because this word has not been their sure and steadfast hope each and every day of their life. If your life is going well, relatively well, don't just step back and say, well, life's just going along just fine. I'm not trying to be negative this morning and say, boy, something terrible is getting ready to happen. I'm not saying that at all. But folks, we all know that difficulties come. The storms of life come. And when life is going well, that's the time to deepen our faith in the Word of God so that when the wind blows and the rains fall and the floods come and it beat against, beats against our house, our house stands firm. It does not go splat like those children sing about every Sunday night. So, build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessings will come tumbling down. Some build their hopes on the ever-drifting sand. Some on their fame or their treasure or their land. But mine's on the rock that forever shall stand. Jesus, the rock of ages. Wise people still build on Jesus. So may I simply ask, on what is your life? built not what do other people think your life is built on really only you and God can answer that question honestly on what is your house built God has provided a plan to build your house to build your life on the firm foundation of faith in his son Jesus he sent him to this earth to die in your place And to be that rock of ages for you. If you're willing to have faith in him. If you're willing to turn from sins. If you're willing to confess that he is Savior and Lord. And if you're willing to be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where that foundation begins. That's when one is saved. He who believes and is baptized. That's the one who will be saved. Mark 16, 16. I suppose in a room like this, most of us have done that. And so for those of us who are Christians, may I take just a moment and just ask, what is your life really built on? Is it really still built and founded on Jesus? Or is it just built on the fact that other people think it's built on Jesus? Is it really firmly built on Jesus? Or is it built on the fact that I've got a bunch of good friends and a nice family? Is it really built on Jesus? Because that's what matters when the storms come. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down. The floods came up. And the wise man's house stood firm. Will your house stand firm when the storms of life come? Only you can answer that question. And this morning, if you need to become a Christian, or if you need to make sure that foundation is standing sure, we invite you to come while we stand and sing to encourage you.